Um, our passage today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 838. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked at, around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was, was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel, counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're starting a new series um, called The Incomparable Jesus. And in some ways, uh, it, it, it feels, I don't know if it's, it feels brand new. Um, last year, we spent about 15 weeks in the Gospel of Mark. And I thought th this year, as we start this new series, what, what, what shall we do? Um, it's, a, it's a really important season that we're in as we're becoming a new church. And I don't think um, there's anything better than simply to meet and know him the one that our life is built upon, Jesus Christ. Um, the Gospel of Mark, I, it's a, it's, of the four Gospels, it's, it's, it's the shortest one. I tend to consider it introduction to Jesus. And, um, and there's, a lot of a, there's a lot of incredible and explosive things in that book. Um, and this passage is actually not an easy one. I was thinking about picking up Mark chapter 3, and we're actually going to spend two weeks on this passage. And... Um, it, it is a challenging passage. It is a challenging passage. And we're going there, to, there's no tricks through this, through this series. We're just going to just roll through the Gospel of Mark. And as the Bible presents, as God's Word presents, who is Jesus? Um, let us meet him anew. And um, some of you, some of you maybe grew up when you were very young in church. And um, like today's passage, for instance. And you may have a kind of like child Sunday school theology but um, that Sunday school theology is not, is not going to be good enough for a passage like this. This is, a, this is not an easy passage. Um, it is dealing with very, very um, real adult issues. And we're going to spend two weeks on this. And um, but in a message today that I'm, I'm so today's message, I've entitled the gospel versus religious tradition. The gospel versus religious tradition. And so let's get into it. Um, part one. Religious traditions and community maintenance. Um, a lot of people think religion is just something that people believe about heaven or like the supernatural, but they have very, religion and its traditions have very relevant power to maintain community. <laughs> and sometimes that's exactly where the gospel is disruptive. That's what we're talking about today, right? So part one. Religious traditions and community maintenance. Part two, the gospel mission over traditions. Uh, the gospel mission over traditions. Traditions that people come up with. Everybody comes up with traditions. Even if you don't call it a tradition. There's something inside of the way people practice their life. Uh, today they, they, today we're, we're, we're in such a space that's so blind 
that we pra practice religion and we don't even know we're practicing religion. And then there's traditions in the way that we practice it that we don't tend to think of. But if they're disrupted, it's controversial, right? And um, part three, I want to close uh, with a meditation on the gospel from this passage that I'm going to call the healing God of the Sabbath, right? The healing God of the Sabbath. Um, part one, uh, religious traditions and community maintenance. This is a, a, a story that when I was a young man, I, I, I couldn't understand. These are, there's there's probably a number of you, maybe when you were young, if you were in church, you're like, what does this have to do with anything? And if you're not a Christian, this just seems like a really weird story. Um, Jesus goes into the synagogue. That's the place where they, you know, they teach or they worship. And a controversy arises over something in our perspective, like, how could this be a controversy? <laughs> how could this be a controversy? So a person walks into this place of worship, and he has some kind of a withered hand. Um, there's people, they're all watching him, Jesus, and they know that he can heal people. What's the controversy at hand? The controversy is, is he going to heal him? And so we're sitting there going like, so... Why would that be controversial? Why would this be a problem? And it, and it goes on, it, it actually says in verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. Those are two different camps of elite leaders. And, um, and they basically were trying to destroy him. We're in chapter 3, and Jesus already has enemies that want to kill him. Over what? <laughs> Over healing a guy? With a bad hand, that is really weird. What is that? So let's, let's back up for a little moment here. Um, I'm going to give you, I never really understood this until I started doing my master's work in theology. And I was studying um, about Sabbath keeping. Um, I was studying about Sabbath keeping, the history of Sabbath keeping. And one of the scholars uh, had a phrase that went something like this. I don't remember the exact quote, but it went something like this. He says, historically, Jews have kept the Sabbath, right? But it can also be said, and maybe even more importantly, the Sabbath has kept the Jews. Historically, the Jews have kept the Sabbath, but it can also be said, and maybe it's even more important, that the Sabbath has kept the Jews. You understand what that's saying? That's saying that if you have a certain way of life, you have a certain community, and your community gathers together, and you have a certain meaning of who you are, you know what that meaning is in the middle? That's called religion. Religion has to have certain practices. Otherwise, what is it? It's just some kind of like, it's a philosophy. <laughs> a philosophy that you just have inside of your mind. And then philosophies don't actually have a lot of, I mean, they, they're very powerful, but they tend to come and go. But religions can have staying power. They have staying power when people practice the certain, there are certain practices, let's, and I'm calling them traditions, that, that maintain the meaning of your people. And Sabbath keeping is one of the most important for Jews. Um, let me put it a little bit. It's, uh, today, Sabbath, keeping Sabbath is, a, is, is something that Christians also do, or at least we're supposed to do. We don't do it quite the way the Jews did it. But um, let's just, just, uh, just to give you a certain sense of this. What if Christians just stopped? Um, what if they said, you know, you could work on sun, you know, every seven days a week. And what if all the Christians in the world decided that, you know, that seventh day um, or Sunday today, I guess that's the first day, 
that one day out of seven, you can work, you can go on vacations, you can just, just like whatever, instead of setting it apart for a day of rest and of worship, what if we just stopped doing that practice? And if that's stopping the habit of people who worship God, let me just um, ask you, would it, just think about this for a moment. Wouldn't um, Christianity die out? That's exactly what happened. The Jews understood that if we didn't have guardrails up on how we practice our faith, that, um, that our faith is threatened. And so, it, it may seem very weird and legalistic, and maybe we'd be highly judgmental about this because you know, we live in a, in a, in a secular time. I, I, you know, you know, some of you consider yourselves, um, you know, you're serious about being a Christian, and yet, um, the kind of the, the very pragmatic secularity of our time, it, it really does affect everybody, including the people who, you know, who are believers. And, but back then, they understood that in order for us as a people to survive and make it as a people, you know, these Romans, I mean, these Romans have weird different sexual practices. They bow down to different gods. They have totally none of the practices that we have. So in other, for us as Jews, in order for us to survive, what are the important things that must be defended inside of our people? Otherwise, you know, our people will just dissipate right into, just kind of assimilate into Roman paganism, and then we'll become nothing. We'll just, there are certain practices, and one of them is this. And so, um, if I say to you this way, does it, doesn't, now you're starting to see why this uh, why this would be con- why this could be considered controversial? Now, I personally think, how could healing somebody it, that was obvious, that must obviously be, have been considered work? Because Sabbath is a day where you're not supposed. To, I mean, it's very explicit in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that they would consider the Bible. You're not to work on that day. Um, it gets it's very clear. Your 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 animal is not supposed to work. Right. Your servants are supposed to. It's not that you just get the day off. Your servants get the day off. Your animals get the day off. It's supposed to, like, work just stops. And I'll just stop for a moment here. Um, if you think that this is uh, just some kind of, like, uptight religious thing, um, uh, let me say this to you. I wished there was no work one day of the week. Just, just stop. You know that? You know what it would do to our society? This, this, is a, this city is a workaholic city. But let me put it a little bit differently. It's an enslaved city. <laughs> it's an enslaved city. And it would be awesome if everybody, all the stores closed, no work was done, just everything just shut down for a day. And everybody realized there is a God, and the God says you can rest because you're human. And life is not all about work. Wouldn't that be great? So in this culture... How do the Jews, you know, keep who they are, their strength of who they are? They, that's what they did. They had rules. You could do this, but you can't do this. Because this, they were like, okay, there's certain special things that need to happen, and I guess we're going to have to allow that. But for the most part, they had a bunch of rules. Um, it's it's, it's quite, uh, quite frankly unfathomable to me. I, I just can't wrap my mind around that some people would actually consider healing a part of a, a violation, but apparently they did. Okay? Now, let me tell you a couple stories. Um, some of you are thinking, oh gosh, those people were such jerks back then. I would never be that way. <laughs> I'm sure we're enlightened people in the modern times. 
you know, we good Christians folks today, we wouldn't do this kind of stuff, right? No, wrong. <laughs> um, let me give you a couple stories. I'll give you one that, uh, this, that I heard this past week, and, and you might not feel like we would do it, but um, I'll, I'll, then I'll give you a second story that shows you it's, uh, how, how very human it is, right? Um, I was at a pastor's gathering this past week, and the subject matter was race. We were talking about race. The room, uh, multi-ethnic. Uh, probably the room is about um, half, uh, well, maybe, maybe about a little less than half Caucasian, and half, and most, the other half were probably different Asian ethnics. And there were a couple people that were, you know, like different um, ethnic uh, uh, racial background. And most of the room were pastors. And so these are, this is a gathering of pastors in our denomination, and we were having a serious discussion about the question of race. One of the pastors is new into this area. He had just been called by one of the, the, the pastors in our nomination. We we're, you know, we're in the Presbyterian Church in America. They, needed, they called a new pastor. This is a, a little further um, out toward east of the, of the bay, um, where you know, it tends to be more Caucasian um, and, and a little as, not as, a, as racially diverse as is, is here in our city. Um, he's white, and um, he grew up in Louisiana. Right? That's not where he, was, he had moved from. I, I can't remember exactly where he had moved from, but he told a story we were sharing. He says, um, my father is a pastor. I grew up Baptist. He, he's a Presbyterian now, but he grew up Baptist. And he told the story that um, when, this is, this is not, uh, you know, this, is, this guy's young. You know, when I look at him, he, he looks he's like he has a baby face. And um, he's a lot, I go, oh, he, he's, he looks like a kid to me. And he said, when I was growing up, um, this happened in our church, in our Baptist church in Louisiana. Um, the pastor started preaching about Jesus, and he met some folks in our town who were black, and some of them wanted to come to our church. And at the time, the church was all white. And they came to the church, and, and a couple of them wanted to keep coming to the church. And then they had a congregational meeting. <laughs> and at that congregational meeting, there's the, the church, in a, in a Baptist church, I don't know if you know this, uh, there, there, uh, there's the, ba- uh, the, the church is led by a pastor and a, a board of deacons. This is the deacon board of the church where the pastor serves. All these people know him. A a group of the men stood outside in front of the church like this when the pastor came to the meeting and said, Pastor, um, it's either um, us or them. And if you keep um, allowing them to come to church, then um, something's going to give, Pastor. (laughs) You guys understand what, what they mean by that, right? They're threatening his job. This wasn't in the 1950s or the 1960s. This is the part that really stunned me when I was listening to this baby-faced Caucasian pastor. He says, this happened in the late 80s. In the late 80s, I was, I was uh, you know, graduating high school and about, about to go off to college, and I rarely had instances of racism you know, in my neighborhood, in my California neighborhood, and yet, here you go. Um, 
So what, what's going on here? You're like, oh, what, what, what's going on here? Because what happened was, I don't know if you noticed, in, a, in, in, in many towns in the South, I don't know if it's still this way. I think it's probably still this way in some parts of the South and, and less so in other parts of the South. But back then in the late 80s, there was basically the, the, the white side of town and the black side of town. This is really interesting. Um, do you know, what, they, you know what, the, what most of the people believe? They believe in Jesus. <laughs> you go to the black side of town, they believe in Jesus. You go to the white side of town, they believe in Jesus. On Sunday morning, probably like 80% of the city is in church. <laughs> but each church had their own perception of religion. So, so what we're talking about here is, I'm not even talking about somebody else's religion. We're talking about ours. But every, every faith has a way of making traditions, and then inside the tradition is, this is the way we, this is our people. Well, it just so happened that the tradition of this church was one of the traditions of this church was it's the, this church is for white people. You know, there's actually a sign. There's no word. You don't walk into the church and says, this is one of our traditions. You know how traditions happen? We just practice them. That's how traditions happen. So, you know, you, you do things inside your family or you do things on yourself. But if your family has a habit over time, it's, we, don't, we stop calling it a habit. I mean, I, I don't know what you guys do, for, say, for Christmas. You wake up in the morning, and then you wake, and then you open up the gifts on Sunday morning? Or are you a Christmas Eve kind of people? Or are you one of these people that said, oh, we're not materialistic. We just do good works for, you know, I don't know. Some people do that. Okay. So different families have different habits, but if you do them again and again, they become a tradition. There's no rules. There's, it's not written down. But... Um, one year, you just stop doing it. So what if one year, your dad decides, I want to open the gifts on Christmas Eve, not Christmas morning. You know what's going to happen? Um, you know, little Susie's going to be like, what, what, what's, what, what are you doing? <laughs> dad, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, she's all but eight years old. And the eight-year-old is well-traditioned. And she's already offended that dad has broken the tradition. We're not talking about church. We're just talking about Christmas inside your own house. We're all like this. And it just so happened in this church, they had a tradition. This church is for the people on this side of town that are white. And what is Jesus doing here? He's doing that. He's breaking that kind of a tradition. All right, let's talk, let's talk about, I'll give you another example. So one a little closer to home. I mean, it, would just, it should be a little too easy for us to uh, look down upon white racists in, in Louisiana, right? From the late 80s. Oh, oh we're better than that, right? <laughs> um, I'll tell you a story of something that happened about two years ago. About two and a half years ago. So this church is a church plant out of the English-speaking congregation, out of, a, out of the church that, that this English-speaking congregation needs to be a part of, called San Jose New Hope. San Jose New Hope is, um, is a you know, historically Korean immigrant community, two congregations, Korean-speaking and English-speaking. So about, two, three, about three years ago, okay, about three years ago, the pastor who um, was the lead pastor on the Korean-speaking side, he resigned, 
and then he left to go plant a, a church in Seattle. Um, he left, and uh, all the other pastors on staff, we had a discussion about things that need to change in the Korean-speaking congregation because they weren't going to have that conversation. <laughs> There's reasons why that pastor left, and he felt frustrated about things that could change or could not change inside the church. He realized, if I touch some of these things, those traditions, then they'd probably get rid of me. <laughs> So he resigned. And we looked at the church. All the other pastors got together and said, before the next pastor shows up, we have to like at least change a couple things because he won't have the credibility. When you're the new lead pastor, you can't just change something big. You can't change something big because they will then fire him. People get angry and fire him. Some faction of the church will get angry and fire him. So. There's, let's just take one important piece and change it because it, it needs to be changed before the new guy comes. So the existing pastor, so all of us were agreed. English-speaking pastor, the youth, Korean, there were like a couple guys on the Korean-speaking system. We were 100% agreement on this change. You know what the change was? At the time, the Korean-speaking service had three services. They had an 8.30 service, they had a 10.30 service, and they had a noon service. The tradition in the church was that the 10.30 service would be the main service. That was the perception. This is the main service. The 8.30 service was small, and um, they didn't have a choir. It tended to be shorter, and a lot of the people who didn't like some of the other people at the 10.30 service, they would come to the 8.30 service. Okay, That's kind of the way it was. So it, was it was traditional hymns, but no choir, shorter service. 10.30 service was a very traditional service, all the bells and whistles. Organ, choir, people coming in suits, you know, women dressed nicely, formally, for Sunday service. And then the noon service was supposed to be for the young people, contemporary, right? And they had a band and no, no choir, and young people would show up dressed kind of like you, the way you guys dress, right? You know, maybe khakis, jeans. I mean, uh, they're a little more formal than us, probably not shorts, okay? And that, those were the three services. But um, somehow they never had this discussion, which is noon is a really lousy time to have a worship service. It's lunchtime. Young people have babies. They need to, like, feed their babies and things like this. But they just went, well, we'll have it at noon, and that's, it had, it's just been this way. And... The church was gradually getting older and older and, quite frankly, was literally dying. And you know how many funerals I've been into when I was serving as an English-speaking pastor of uh, San Jose New Hope? Literally, people are dying. And yet, so all the pastors said, you know, what we need to do is, it's, it doesn't make sense to have two little services that are not succeeding in reaching people in our city and one, quote, main service. So... You know, no, none of us had a problem with the fact that the service was traditional, hymns, choir. We don't have any problem with that. Suits, no problem. We have, nobody has a problem with that. But the pastor just felt like we need to make space to encourage a new generation to receive the gospel in, in a way that makes sense to them. So we proposed to the council there will only be two services in the Korean-speaking side. And so the first service will be at 930 Second service will be at 11. 
that's when the English-speaking service moved from 10.30. We used to have, we used to have, an, <laughs> well, how do we used to do this? It was, um, I think we had 8.45 and 10.30. We used to have two services back then. And then we shifted, you know, we, we changed it, right? We went from 9 and 11. And they went from 9.30 to 11. Now, okay, that's maybe more than you want here. You know what happened? Oh, this, uh, there was a faction inside the Korean-speaking congregation. Oh, and this anger just came out. <laughs> Unbelievable anger. Um, I was talking to one of the retired elders. Uh, you know, like I, I went in to get a cup of coffee or something before our service, and this retired elder pulled me aside and says, you know what, and, he, and I won't say it, but he named one of the Korean-speaking you know, pastors, and, he, and just just. Anger just starts spilling out of us because he is like throwing the old people away. <laughs> Took our service away from us. I was like, um, I was like, uh, Elder, I won't say the name. I said, the service wasn't taken away from you. It just is earlier. <laughs> but um, he felt that the older people were displaced and made less important inside the church. And um, that tradition... It was, it was the same service. <laughs> what was the tradition? That we would go, the tradition is that we won't be at 10.30 and be the main service. <laughs> Instead, we'll just be one of two equal services just earlier. That, that created anger. <laughs> and, um, and, they, and a number of them, and I was, as I listened more and more to people on the, in the congregation, they picked one of the Korean-speaking pastors, and I won't say his name, but they basically just blamed it on him, which is really, I, I remember listening to that thinking, that's crazy. That guy wasn't in the meeting. <laughs> All the other pastors were in the meeting. <laughs> that guy wasn't in the meeting, but he is just, boom, he is really taking it. Um, a couple weeks later, I had breakfast with that pastor, and I said to him, are you okay? You're kind of taking a beating in our church and being blamed for stuff. And he said, Susan, I'm okay. I'm okay. They have to blame somebody, and um, let it be me. It's okay. That's what he said. And I sat there, and I went, you a godlier man than me. Because <laughs> if it was me, I'd probably start coming out swinging. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? Stop spreading these lies about me, right? That's what's going on in this passage. Now, let me just stop for a moment here, too. Oh, are they just being jerks? You, know, you don't have fights like this unless the tradition matters to people. And it matters for something that really, like, it, it moves them at a certain place. Um. I grew up in, in a Korean immigrant church. And in the, in the 80s, in the late 70s and 80s, when Koreans came to the United States, they didn't have any money. The immigrants coming to the US today, they tend to be really well educated, especially in a city like ours. They tend to be really well educated. They actually handle English decently well. And they're much more um, culturally and kind of like worldly, more, you know, more sophisticated in the world. But back then, the people came. And there was a law in Korea that you literally couldn't leave the country with except more than like $200. So almost everybody, 
You have to leave your career behind. You could have been a doctor in Korea, and you have to leave that behind because you have no credentials in America. And then you have to pick up a job, maybe cleaning toilets, so you could feed your family. That's what it was like. And so when people gathered, to, uh, when they came to America, they felt like, I'm nothing here. And these people are, they have a different skin color. I don't understand their language. And they don't look at me as anything. And so then, some of them believed in Jesus. And then on Sunday, they, they, wanted, they wanted dignity. They wanted rest. See, they, they, they walked in a church like this guy. This guy had a, a withered hand. But, but these immigrants came to America, and when they walked into the church, they didn't have a withered hand. They had a withered heart. They had worked 70 or 80 hours that week. They were beaten down just to live in some crummy apartment and to save and scrimp, save and save to just try to make it in this society. And then they wanted to put on a suit. Why? Because a suit made you feel like you weren't a nobody. And when they came into church, that was a time when they could be honored and loved. See? That's what, so then the choir, and that those songs, and when the choir would sing beautifully, and they would say, and they would hear amazing grace, they would cry. And they would know, oh, Jesus, he gives me dignity and honor. And so when you come in, when they came into church, and they felt like, well, you know, look at, look at bands and kids, you know, like these young guys showing up at church in their jeans. Like, they just don't get it. But it's like they've forgotten a time when they came to church with a withered heart. And certain practices were offered to them, and those practices spoke mercy and grace into the place where they needed healing. But it's like, so now, later, many, many years later, they're, they're much better off, but they still cling to that tradition. That tradition is the thing that still gives them comfort, even though they're not the one walking into church withered. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. But, you know, and so when I listened to some of these older people and they were angry, I have compassion on them. At the same time, I exactly understand why Jesus looks at, he says to these, he looks at them, it's a scary passage. He's angry. <laughs> He's angry at their hardness of heart. That's how I felt too. I said, the new generation of Korean-speaking immigrants, they don't want to wear a suit. And they're working 60, 70 hours a week, and they do not want to wear a nice suit and be dressed up nicely before their boss because their boss says, dress up nicely. Or, hey, when they come to come church, they just want to be free. Can't you see? Can't you see? It's the same. But they weren't thinking about the gospel. Instead, they're thinking about the tradition. The tradition that blessed me, we must keep. Instead of the Jesus that comes to heal your witheredness. See? That's what this passage is about. Let's go to part two. The gospel mission over traditions. I want to tell you something that's very, very important. And if you go to a church, I want to, this is a really important principle. 
all churches have traditions. All of them. Don't think, we're not a very traditional church. Okay, then that means you have contemporary traditions. <laughs> That's all it means. Oh, our church is new. Okay, we've only been around for three years. Okay, that means we have three-year-old traditions. We have one-year-old traditions. I mean, today, I listened to the youth group just make the music louder than I'm used to, and I was like, oh, this is pushing my tradition button. <laughs> Because I'm in my mid-40s, and this volume is a little louder than I'm used to. <laughs> so they were breaking the volume tradition that I'm comfortable with. But, you know, I, I sat there and said, it's funny that today this is what I'm preaching about. <laughs> so I, have a, I, had a, I sat there, and I said, I have a really great opportunity to repent of me clinging to my tradition so that other people, young people who like the music a little louder than me, can meet the Jesus that will heal the witheredness in them. Right? Right? What I want to tell you is this. All traditions have to go at some point. <laughs> they all have to go. Traditions can change. If you go to church and you look at the shell of the church or like the practices of the church, but you're not looking for Jesus, <laughs> then... Let me tell you something. You're one of the bad guys. <laughs> huh? Today, I didn't know that I was going to step in as a bad guy. <laughs> I walked in like a Pharisee. And after the second song, I learned to look for Jesus. You get what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? When you go to church, it has to be always about Jesus. And if it's always going to be presenting, knowing, meeting Jesus, then it always has to be presented for people who are withering. <laughs> the real Jesus came for people who are withering. They're dying. Jesus didn't come to give us community and tradition. <laughs> he came to gather a community of the dying so he can heal them. That's what it's for. Church is for that. So now if you think of church as religion and the place where I'm comfortable, because we all, that's somewhere along the line, people go, oh, this is the, church, the kind of church that, I, uh, that we need, pastor. And then they start listing the traditions that they like. <laughs> that's a, just every church I've ever been to. As soon as you want to start changing something. Pastor Young and I, we uh, met with the church planner from a number, he planted a church a number of years ago, and we're meeting with church planners to learn about church planting. You know one of the things he said, oh gosh, this just really, this was like a little bit of a knife to my heart when he said this. He said, um, anytime you change and do something new, the people inside the church cannot, they always feel it as loss. You do something new, the people inside the church, they feel it as losing something. Therefore, as more and more people inside the church feel like they're losing, then over time, they're like, the thing I like isn't here. I, then they start saying, Pastor, you know, it's just a season. It's, we just need something else in our life now. And so he experienced this. Their church had a radical vision. He took a, a, a folks into a poor community. This was in Brooklyn, where a lot of the people had a little different skin color. And then 
because you know the music that kind of like worked for whites and Asians on that side of town didn't really work for like Caribbean African folks on this side of town. So then he got a new praise leader, and then the music style changed. And then guess what? You know, Pastor, we just think it's just like you know we just have different. We we need to go over there for children's ministry, which is better for us. And he's sitting there thinking, I I know what this is about. We all have certain limits about the way we could practice our faith. But the question I want to ask you today is, what traditions do you cling to? That maybe that tradition is more than Jesus. And the principle I want to offer you today is, in every good, healthy church, they have a mission to present Christ. Not the tradition. (laughs) The tradition, if it helps us present Jesus Christ, proclaim the gospel, then let's use it. But as soon as it stops helping, let's change it. (laughs) That's That spirit, that heart, that attitude, that's in a really good church. (laughs) But every church, it just gets tired and like, it could have started off great. The reason why you got out of the choir and the suits was great in 1982, not so great in 2018. That's the question I want to ask you. You know, we are in a a season when, honestly, uh, there's going to be a lot of change. Okay? There's going to be a lot of change. Um, And probably almost every single week, some Different, you're going to feel it one week, you're going to feel like, I love this change. And the next week, you're like, I'm not so wild about this change. (laughs) And some of the changes that we're going to do as we become a new church and a church plant, some will work and some won't. Some will be like, I liked it. We tried it for three weeks and then like, we're like, I don't think it's quite working. And then we're going to change it. You're like, but then you wanted it to become a tradition. (laughs) And then we're going to try, we're going to do something for like maybe a year and It kind of worked in the first six months, and it stops working in the next six months. But then you got used to it as your tradition. And then you're not going to like it when we change it. You know, traditions die faster today. They do. And in a church plant, church plants can't have a lot of patience for traditions. And the thing I want to ask you is, will you question your tradition? And if you walk into church, will you ask this question? Will this help make a person meet Jesus? It's not that the most comfortable thing for me, but will this help a person meet Jesus? Let me just, let me just offer some of you things that you don't know it, but might be part of your tradition, the tradition that you know is comfortable for you. How about this? Like um, the time. You know, the leaders of our church, we were nervous that if we considered an afternoon time, we'd just lose half of you, right? Because how strongly tied are people to the tradition of worshiping in the morning? It's just, I mean, there's no rule in the Bible you have to worship in the morning. So, but we're like, what if we, we go to after late afternoon? Will we just lose half our people because they're tied to that tradition? Maybe the time. Maybe you like having a building. You know, we're not going to own our own building. And when we don't own our own building, the 
in all likelihood, wherever we rent from, they're going to be like, you can do this, but you can't do this. And, we're, they're going to, and then all of a sudden, we're going to feel lost. But in our old building, we, could, we got to do that for the kids. But in this building, we don't get to do that. So it's uncomfortable. It's harder to do the children's ministry here. And then some people are going to be like, oh, you know, I, 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 I want to go to a church where, you know, all the building kind of works for you. Maybe that's the tradition that looms large in your heart. Um, maybe you just have a system that you liked. So let me give you an example of a, of a tradition. In an immigrant-speaking church, in immigrant churches like this, um, people have this idea that unless some seminary-trained person teaches your kids, that they're not getting real worship. <laughs> so if a, if a volunteer teaches your kids something out of the Bible, and they, that's how they're going to like get the gospel on a Sunday, that that's just not good enough. So you go to a church, and the system they had was they had a children's service, <laughs> or they had a youth service. It was a special service just for them, and a seminary-trained person up there taught them, and that person was in charge. But then we go to a new space, and we don't run that tradition anymore. And people are like, oh, this isn't for me. I don't, I, this is something we need. Is it really a need need? Hmm. Um, I'll say two more before I get to, like, close my message, right? Uh, one is, what if, uh, what if uh, this church becomes less Asian or less Korean? The foods that we eat. The people that starts coming into the church. So, you're like, oh, I'm not racist like those, those uh, southern white folks from Louisiana in the late 80s, except, hey, what if the church started becoming, you know, 25% not the ethnicity you're used to? Oh, but you're not racist. It's just, you, we just have church. I just got to have church that works for me. That's a tradition. Okay, um, this is, I hope, will this scare you? Let's let, you know, um, my discipleship group, okay, in our discipleship group, we have to, we have to over, the, over the winter, we were supposed to serve some people in the city. So we called up a hospital to visit sick people. We called up, we called up, a, 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 we called up a, what do you call it, a hospice? You guys know what a hospice is? It's the place where people go to die, to go pray for people. None of them gave us the time of day. <laughs> so then uh, one of the brothers said, let's go bring fried chicken to the homeless encampment of some of the people living in tents in our city. I sat there and said, yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> but I was like, ah, this brother's daring, and he's risky, and he, he loves doing out-of-the-box stuff. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like Jesus. All right, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> so we did it. <laughs> So we got Vaughn's chicken, some of the best Korean fried chicken. We went to a homeless encampment and said, want to have lunch with us? Actually, none, we didn't eat any of it. We just gave it all to them. And one of the guys was there, he, he was black. And I said, do you like fried chicken? And he looked straight at me. He says, What's that? He's like, fried chicken is in the DNA of a black man. <laughs> and, uh, and I just started laughing, and I said, Koreans love it too. <laughs> and um, 
And then, and then they started inviting some of the other people out of their tents. There were various different ethnicities, some Hispanic. And then one woman was Filipino. And um, this is really interesting. You know what they said? We didn't say that we were from a church. They said, are you guys from a church? That's the first thing they said. You from a church? We said, yeah, we're at this church. They says, which church? Maybe we should go worship there sometime. That's what they said. So then we visited them again. <laughs> we took the care package, which is uh, you know, one of the, the small groups and the, the youth men, and then we came, and then the African-American guy, who I think is, a, is he believes in Jesus, he, we said, could you help us? And he said, sure. He said, he immediately, it's like he just became a member of the team. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> Second time around, it's like he just, boom, jumped on. He just introduced us to a bunch of people. And we, and, um, and I thought about this. I said, okay, if the third time we go and the fourth time we go, just have a relationship. What if two or three or five of them decide to come to church? Would that bother you? Would that bother you? It wouldn't be easy. Let me close this message. This is about a worship place, synagogue, and Jesus goes into it. And it's the day of worship, Sabbath. You know know what I'm talking about? This is like a picture of church. (laughs) What church is supposed to be like? Do you know that God doesn't go to every church? The building looks like a church. They call themselves a church. I've been in churches and I show up and I'm like, Jesus ain't in this house. I'm really sad to say, I've walked into church and I said, God's not in this house. And I start looking at my watch and thinking about exit plan. When's the earliest time I can get the heck out of here? I've been to churches like that on Sundays. It's really sad. Because when I go there, it's like they're all about tradition or they're all about something, but it doesn't seem to be about Jesus. And I sense, I don't think the Holy Spirit is in this room. The presence of Christ is not here. You know how you could tell where Jesus is going to come? Because they care about presenting him, not the tradition. And they care about presenting him to the person who's going to come into the church with a withered hand except they don't come in with a withered hand. They come in with withered hearts and withered lives, withered marriages. They come in broken down, withered up. And we know our God, our King, could heal them. You know, it's a crazy way that he healed them. He said, you know, here he just does it by his word. But we know that the gospel says, what is your disease? You're really, really guilty. Put your disease on me. That's the cross. Oh, what are you dying of? Put your death on me. I'll give you my life. Oh, you're filled with shame because you really screwed up your life. Or other people like say, you're nothing, you're nothing. Jesus says, put your shame on me. I'll put all my honor on you. 
That's what church is for. Isn't that why you come to church? I hope that's why you come to church. Somewhere or another, you came to church and you met this Jesus and you came in withered and broken. Maybe it was a sin that was just eating you up alive and he healed you of your disease, of your guilt and your shame and he took it upon himself and then his blood washed you and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is completely real. And you were healed of your disease. And you stop being withered and you start having life, eternal life. But somehow, five years later, ten years later, like you're doing much better in life, your marriage is better, <laughs> you're making better money, and you go to church, and now church is like gotta be that place where you just meet all your homeboys and you're comfortable inside your traditions. Can I ask you, go to church once again, and remember you have a withered heart. And Jesus, he healed you. He loved you by grace. And when we go into the season as revive, people are going to need you. They're going to need to be revived by healing, a new life, by grace, through the redemptive work of Jesus. Everybody and everybody who comes in, that's the drama. On any given Sunday, you just do not know who's going to show up. <laughs> there could be an old, beaten-down Christian who just, you know, failed their marriage. It could be an African-American guy who raps <laughs> eloquent prayers about Jesus who lives in a tent. <laughs> it could be somebody who ran away from Jesus and thinks, I'm an atheist. But they walk in, and they're going to meet the real king, the real savior, who healed them of all their brokenness. That's what church is about. You willing to break up all the traditions? Jesus is a disruptive king. He is very disruptive. And live in the disruptions of Jesus. Would you be willing to do that? For your sake and for the other withered hearts of the people in our city. Let's pray. We are weary, withered people. But then we get better and then we become Pharisees. <laughs> and then we become blind and want to shoot the messenger and of the one who wants to change the traditions that we liked. But help us to remember who we are before you. Who we are before you. King, Lord, God, Jesus. That's all we are. Before you, are we strong and smart and talented and and got everything all together? No, before you, we are weak and broken and withered up. And we always need your healing hand, your forgiving word, your embrace. That's what Sabbath is for. That is the rest that we deeply need. Help us to remember that this is who we are. And we're so thankful that this is who you are. <laughs> we have met you. We have been loved by you. 
May this be what Revive Church is always about. In Jesus' name, amen.